Our first reading is from the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and this ancient imagination and ask that you would aliven our hearts anew this morning and we would hear a word from you. Amen. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Holy One, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to God on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. First, thank you for such a warm welcome. It's wonderful to be back uh, here at 7th Avenue. Um, does anyone here speak Greek? Okay, good. I can get away with saying whatever I want. <laughs> so about three years ago, my wife, Rachel, and I were in Greece. We were hiking across the countryside on our honeymoon. The hike had taken us uh, over hills, into rocky valleys, and even along rock wall-lined, overgrown dirt roads through uh, beautiful, family-run olive groves. It probably looked more or less like the place where Jesus and his disciples were walking. For most of the trip, we had been either in big cities or in hotels where at least someone 
in, you know, in, in, in earshot spoke English. I'd hoped uh, before we'd arrived that my few years of studying ancient Greek in college and in seminary might come in handy. Uh, it did help me read signs, uh, but so far up to this point, I had been disappointed. Uh, the locals infuriatingly spoke really good English. Uh, and so my antique Greek skills were, uh, were useless. Um, as it happened, though, uh, whatever knowledge uh, I may have had of uh, the Greek of Homer and the New Testament, um, it, it ended up being of no use the one time I actually needed it. Because uh, on our hike, we met a couple of olive farmers, olive grovers, olive tree workers. Um, uh, I greeted them with the one, one of the, the two phrases I had actually picked up in modern Greek, kalimera, good day. Uh, they replied in the same way and motioned for us to, to come over. They were sort of sitting on one of these incredibly picturesque, beautiful stone walls uh, having their lunch. Um, it, it was, I'm sure, obvious that we were tourists. We stood out like sore thumbs. Um, and maybe they were encouraged by my, you know, masterful use of Greek. Uh, and so they tried to strike up a conversation in Greek. Uh, when the woeful inadequacy of my own competency became clear, we sort of settled into that kind of friendly silence that you do when you realize this is, we're all friends here, but conversation's not going to happen. One of the, the younger of the two uh, farmers said, Deutsch? <laughs> no, we said. Uh, and what, Rachel, my wife, she tried, Francais? No. Espanol, I say? No. So here we are in the silence. The older of the two uh, farmers gave us, uh, actually offered us an apple from his lunch uh, while we were sitting there. A good apple is an excellent snack on a hike. Uh, I didn't want to seem rude, so I took it, shared it. Uh, Rachel and I enjoyed it, exactly what we needed right then. But when we finished the apple, we made the appropriate gestures of appreciation, both of, of them and the countryside. We got up and began uh, to go on our way. And as we did, I got to use the other piece of modern Greek that I had actually picked up, uh, which was to say thank you, which in modern Greek is ευχαριστώ. Uh, now, if you, if you see that written out, it will become very clear this is the same as our word Eucharist. The, the difference between ancient Greek and modern Greek is actually very small. Uh, and so this word, ευχαριστώ, Eucharist, is, uh, is also the same word that this Samaritan leper, sick person, uses to thank Jesus for being made clean. And it's the same word that, in a sense, heals this man more deeply than the other nine who were with him. Have any of you heard of the theologian Cornel West? He's a uh, very prominent theologian of uh, social justice, black liberation. He's said that justice 
is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. Dr. West's words seem more relevant than ever as we look around at the state of justice for black men and women, for all people of color. They seem especially apt as we look at the state of our national politics in the presidential election, the awful, abusive, toxic words that are being spoken about women, about anyone that seems different or foreign or just vulnerable. To hear the words that justice is what love looks like in public is to hear an invitation to bring that love to a world that desperately needs it. And in bringing it, to work for the justice that the world desperately longs for. But so often, I know I find it hard to know what that love is supposed to look like. What is that love supposed to look like in light of Jesus' most difficult commandment? His commandment, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It can be hard to know what love is supposed to look like in a world that seems so often to be filled with powerful, terrible, influential, and seemingly unlovable people. What on earth could it look like for someone who is striving after justice, who is working for that love in public to show that love to a tyrant or a demagogue, to an enemy or to one who has done you serious wrong, or even to a member of your own church or denomination who holds views different to yours. Many of you know that it is not insignificant that the star of this story is a Samaritan. In the past 10 or 15 years, my church, the Episcopal Church, the PCUSA, Lutherans, Methodists, all sorts of Christians have been struggling to maintain communion and to maintain any kind of unity as we seem to be breaking apart at the seams over differing interpretations of scripture, differing understandings of sexuality and gender and marriage. And as horrible as these conflicts have been for us, they were nothing compared with the the division between Judeans who worshipped on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and Judeans who worshipped on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. Conventional wisdom among the Jews of Jerusalem was that the Samaritans were apostates, unclean, unwanted, wicked, untrustworthy. And so when Jesus offers healing rather indiscriminately to this group of sick women and men, it is worth paying attention to the fact that the one who comes back to offer his thanks is a Samaritan, one of this despised minority. 
And it is worth paying attention to the fact that it is this stranger, this outcast and enemy, who shows the disciples and us a way out. A way out of this puzzle of how we might offer that love which is the seed of God's justice to a world that contains those whom we would very much rather not give our love to and our vulnerability and our care to. When Jesus declares that the lepers have been made clean, he sends them to the priests, to the correct place, so that they can demonstrate that they are clean, be confirmed in their ritual purity, and once again be welcomed into the holy places of their faith. However, when this Samaritan comes back, so amazed and filled with thanks for this having been made clean, he discovers something else. He discovers something else in the act of turning around to give thanks. Not only has he been made clean, he has been healed. More so than any other healing story in the Gospels, this one shows the truly breathtaking power of gratitude. If justice is what love looks like in public, then I wonder if love is what gratitude looks like put into practice. Almost 10 years ago, long before we had even dreamt of dreaming about going on a honeymoon in Greece, Rachel, while we were hiking in New Hampshire, speculated, in spite of the fact that she was not a very church-going sort of person, speculated that the root action of prayer is thanksgiving, is gratitude. Whatever we mean by God, whatever we mean by prayer and by faith, probably starts and has its most basic character in the act of saying thank you. What if that, that primordial thank you, that fundamental act of gratitude, were to become the underlying gesture that we, as followers of Jesus, that we, as those who have been made new, being clothed in Christ, what if this Christo were not only the act of thanksgiving and communion that shares the center that is the shared center of our worship life, but what if this thanksgiving were in fact the orienting principle of our whole lives? What would that look like? Is there some chance that the gratitude that we offer for the gift of our lives for the gifts that we bring to the world? Is there some chance that this gratitude might be translated into a love that we can share with the world? A love that we can share even with those that we find dangerous and terrible? I don't think it is a coincidence that gratitude 
comes from the same root as grace. The grace that we offer at mealtimes, the grace that we have received from God. Gratitude is the means by which we are able to see that what we have, that the mercy we have experienced, is something that we are invited to offer to the world, just as God does, without exception. This gratitude for mercy received frees us to imagine what hurts have been suffered by our enemies and by our friends, and to wonder what it might look like for God's love to begin to heal those wounds and the wounds that have flown and flowed from those hurts. The gratitude of this remarkable Samaritan man shows us how living into a way of thanksgiving, of praise for the fountain of mercy, can bring both healing in our souls and begin to lay the foundations of justice in the world. Now, ready to walk in this way of the Samaritan man's gratitude and Jesus' loving mercy, let us too get up and go on our way.